Hi, welcome to Faith, Coffee, and a Kid podcast. This is your host, Cherie. Today, I am presenting to you a lesson on Lot's wife. Recently, in my ladies' Bible study class, I got to present this lesson, and while preparing for it, I was blown away by the nuggets of wisdom that I found. You know, so many of us kind of look at Lot's wife as this woman who didn't make such a smart choice, right? Looking back and turning into a pillar of salt. But as I dug in, I realized we all have a lot more in common with Lot's wife than we think. If you like this lesson, you can also look at the slides on the website at faithcoffeeandakid.com. I hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoy presenting it. Hi everyone, this is Cherie. Thank you for joining me for this lesson on Lot's wife. Um, I was asked to um, share a lesson on Lot's wife in my Bible study, my ladies Bible study class. And this particular lesson, as I started to dive into it, just really resonated with me. And I did not expect to find so much meat in this lesson. And um, I thought that why not record what I spoke about in class and share it with all of you. So um, without further ado, let's get started. Um, so this is, the lesson is Lot's Wife, The Danger of Disobedience Against God's Will. And I actually added this little uh, subtitle at the bottom, Stop Looking Back and Look Forward to God's Amazing Blessings. And so if you look at the right, you'll see that picture there is actually a picture I found um, that some have said they think that could be actually Lot's wife um, because it's near the, Jor the river Jordan uh, where Sodom and Gomorrah had taken place. So just a little tidbit there, but let's get started. And as we go through this lesson, I would love for you to think about these questions because I think anytime we're doing any type of Bible study or you know we're diving into the scripture that we should take some time to think about how it applies to us, right? How we can use it in our practical application in our daily life. And so throughout the lesson, I'm gonna ask you to think about these questions. Um, a time in your life when you looked back when God was telling you to look forward. What desires or actions may be causing disobedience in your life that you know are ungodly or sinful? What were some of the consequences you faced when you rebelled against God's will for your life? Think of a time you obeyed God and did not look back or return to sin and what was the outcome? What is it that is dead in your past that keeps you uh, trying that you keep trying to give life to that robs you from the abundance that God wants to give you. And do you think Lot's wife's experience mirrors the experience of Christians today? So, you know, as I started reading Lot, it's funny because I think most of us are familiar with the story of this woman who looked back and turned into a pillar of salt, right? And that's pretty much as far as we go with this. Um, we think, what was her problem? I mean, she was like, out like she was getting out of this land that was you know wicked and and sulfur was coming down like why would you look back but i had to kind of take a step back and get off my high horse and think about how many times in life i've looked back knowing that there was destruction knowing that time wasn't so great but kind of kept looking back and not looking forward to what god had in store for me which was much better so, like I said, I would love for you to think about these questions. Um, also with this lesson, I'm going to include a uh, quick like reflection um, piece. It's a PDF that you can download and look at too. And you can write some of these questions, uh, the answers to some of these questions for yourself. So let's go into the backstory, right? A quick history. So this story can actually be found in Genesis 13. And it starts out with Abraham's um, nephew, Lot, okay? And so Lot accompanied Abraham from Egypt to Bethel. And God had greatly blessed Abraham, right? He blessed him with riches. He actually blessed him with flock and cattle and herdsmen. And Lot had cattle and herdsmen as well. However, they're on this land together, <clears throat> 
and the land could not support them both. And the reason why, just like, you know, in, in life today, right? Things become crowded, people get a little testy with one another. And so their herdsmen started to quarrel with each other. So Abraham being the great guy that he is says, hey, you know what? This, this quarreling doesn't have to take place. Lot, choose the land. There's a big land out there, you choose, okay? If you say east, I'll go west. If you say west, I'll go east. So Lot chooses the land that appears to be the most fertile and well-watered, the Jordan River Valley. And he pitches his tent near Sodom. Now, the interesting thing that caught my eye with this in Genesis 13, 6, is that Lot chose the land that appeared, right, to be this very fertile and um, probably looked like prosperous land. He probably thought, you know, I'm going to go there and I'm going to prosper even more. But he did not take account of the character of the people there, right? Only the appearance. And so this is just kind of um, something to think about, even just in our own lives, right? Where something looks so good, but that's not necessarily what is the truth. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up because I thought that was really interesting when I started reading this about why Lot chose that land. Now we go on to Genesis 14, 1 through 13. And I find this really interesting because even before all of, you know, all this that had happened, Lot is taken captive when the Elamite king invades the area. And Abraham, once again, being that good guy that he is, takes 318 men. And it says in the Bible that he saves Lot's possessions together with the women and the other people that belong to him. Now, this made me pause because I thought when I saw with the women, we know that Lot had daughters and we know that he had a wife. Interesting enough, we don't know a lot about Lot's wife. We don't, she has no name, right? We don't know where she's from. But when I read this particular scripture, it did make me think that she probably was captured as well. Um, and so we're going to get back to that a little later, but just keep that in mind. So then we go to Genesis 18, and this is where, you know, or Genesis 19, actually, 18 and 19. And this is where we start to see that, you know, God sees the wickedness and the sinfulness of Sodom, and he decides to destroy it. And right before in Genesis 18, um, <clears throat> Abraham actually, you know, is trying to get God to save Sodom. And he kind of has this bartering thing on, if you find 45 good men, if you find 10 good men, right? But God sees that this is a wicked land and he decides to destroy Sodom. And Lot obviously is in Sodom. Two angels arrive uh, to warn Lot and Lot invites the angels back to his house, these men. And so what happens is the wicked men, young and old, of Sodom come to the house and they are banging on the doors, causing all kind of ruckus saying, listen, you need to send them out and we're gonna do wicked things to them. And it's just, uh, it seems like there's a ton of chaos going on. And Lot is terrified um, and he wants nothing to happen to these angels. And he actually even talks, he even thinks about sacrificing his daughters, which nobody talks about. And I think that's kind of, um, it makes me think about the character of Lot, right? He was going to sacrifice his daughters um, and put them out there with these, you know, crazy men. Um, but as you move forward, the angels end up striking the wicked men blind. And at this point, Lot and his wife and family are commanded to leave. And there's this hesitation. So the angels take his hand, the hand of his wife and his family and lead them out. And Lot says, you know, I don't wanna go. Can you take me to the land um, that's known as Zor? And, and they say, sure, we're gonna do this. We, they grant this for him. And they are warned going into the land, Lot and his family do not look back, okay? And we're gonna get into the exact words of this because it's so very clear right, that they are really commanded, do not look back. But Lot's wife disobeys. She looks back and she turns into a pillar of salt. 
So Lot's wife disobeyed, right? And the big question is, why did Lot's wife choose disobedience and death instead of life? So one of the things that I love to do when I'm studying scripture is I love to dig deep into the words, right? Um, and so I look at the definition and I um, use the definition and I look at the sticky words and I call these sticky words because they stick out to me. And I kind of, what I do is I kind of, after I break that down, I look at those words and break it down and then I apply it in scripture. And so because this lesson is really, you know, also on disobedience, right? That's kind of the crux of this. I wanted to look up that definition and one of the resources that I use that I definitely suggest you using is called Vine's Dictionary. It's Vine's Complete, actually, Expository, Expository Dictionary. And this is a great dictionary. It really gives you some, um, you know, biblical meaning and Hebrew meanings. I mean, it's just a really good resource. But the definition of disobedience is the obstinate rejection of the will of God a refusal to hear. Carelessness and attitude is the precursor of actual disobedience. It is an unwillingness to be persuaded that spurns unbelief. Now, what I wanted to do was I wanted to examine the definition, break it down, and then look at Lot's wife's actions in correlation to disobedience. Now, what I find fascinating about this is that as I broke it down, literally every section that I considered a sticky word, Lot's wife's reaction matched it. And so this is a great little um, exercise to do in our own lives, right? Like when we are falling into line or falling into disobedience, um, really thinking about these four little um, sticky words and, and def this definition of disobedience and kind of thinking about, is this what's happening as we choose to act in a certain way? So the first section, obstinate rejection, stubbornly refusing to change one's opinion or chosen course of action despite attempts to persuade one to do so. Now, when we look at Lot's wife's reaction, she was stubborn. Okay, even when destruction was taking place around her and God gave her a course of action to escape death and she refused to follow the course, right? The Lord did everything he could to persuade them to leave and not look back. The angels led them by the hand. So literally the angel was like, hey, come here, give me your hand, we're out of here, right? And Lot's wife could not be persuaded. So she rejected the course of action that God had put in front of her. And I thought about, you know, how many times, you know, that I've rejected the course of action that God has put in front of me, right? And what that looks like. Um, and, you know, he gives us this path and whether we decide to take it or not, obviously is up to us. Then the refusal to hear an act of denying to perceive, gain knowledge, or listen with attention. So I looked at this in two different ways, right? And Lot's wife's reaction in the spiritual sense, she did not listen with attention to what God was commanding. He gave their family foreknowledge of the destruction to take place, but Lot's wife still appeared to be in denial and not perceive the truth. Then you look at the physical side of hearing, right? So even with her physical senses, being able to see and hear the chaos around her, her reaction was she chose to disobey. The next big, I think, part of this disobedience is carelessness and attitude. It's that failure to give sufficient attention to avoiding harm or negligence. Attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. Typically, attitudes are reflected in a person's behavior. So Lot's wife's attention was not on God's will, okay? She was distracted. We don't know why she looked back. Maybe she had some tie to, we don't know where she was from. She could have been from there. We don't know, you know, she did build a home there, regardless if it was wicked. But 
we don't know why she looked back, but we do know this, that her attention, right, in some way became distracted. Her thinking at that moment was not in alignment with obedience. And whatever she was thinking at that point manifested in her behavior of turning back, right? That led to the consequence, which was death. And so, so much of our lives, I think, and our actions are determined by our thinking, right? That thinking um, really does determine our behavior. And so I did a Bible study uh, in the summer that was called stinking, uh, breaking the chains of stinking thinking. And a lot of it was, you know, all of it actually was about our thinking patterns and what we're thinking about and how it affects our behaviors, right? And so we really have to be in alignment with God's will for our life, alignment with, you know, what the scripture says, what the word says, what we put our sights on. And I think Lot's wife was um, a warning to us in that way to remember to not be distracted, right? Even when something is right in front of you, if you're distracted, you're not going to see it. Okay. And so that's one of the things that we want to keep in mind as we study this. Um, the last thing is the unwillingness to be persuaded. Unwillingness is the lack or desire or the reluctance to accept something or do something. And then persuade is providing a sound reason for doing something after a sustained effort to convince. Lot's wife chose to disobey. She was, she was reluctant to accept that God was asking her not to look back, not even asking her, he commanded her, do not look back. And after all the continued effort, the warnings, the handholding, and a new land to go to, she cannot be persuaded or convinced to trust the Lord to move forward, to trust him that he had the best in mind for her. And the consequence was she became immobilized. Now, one of the things that I think we can glean from this is that before we fall into disobedience, we are usually given warnings, right? And the one amazing thing is I started studying, um, you know, for this lesson was seeing all the warning signs that Lot's wife was given. Um, so I wanted to go into four of those. The first one is way back in Genesis 14, one through 13, when Lot was captured, right? And we talked about this a little bit. If in fact, Lot's wife was held captive with Lot, she had already witnessed, you know, the wickedness in Sodom firsthand. And to be honest with you, that would probably have been enough for me if anybody, you know, if I'm being held captive, I'm out of there. I don't care if you're in the milk, like the land of milk and honey, you kidnap me in that land, <laughs> I'm out. Um, but that was kind of the first warning sign, right? Then there was the angels warnings. The angels tell them to get their family out because we are going to destroy the city. And if you read in Genesis 19:12, um, that's exactly you know what they say. They say the two men said to Lot, "Do you have anyone else here, son-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy the place." The outcry to the Lord against His people is so great that He has sent us to destroy it. So they literally told them, right? They gave them the warning that this is what was going to happen. That was the second warning. Then there's the third warning. The angels grab their hands. There is this hesitation to leave, right? And so the angels grab Lot's wife's hand and leads her safely out of the city because you know why? The Lord is merciful, right? Even when the Lord was seeing their disobedience, their um, reluctancy to, you know, follow in faith, okay, to listen, right, to obey. He was still merciful. He still wanted to save them from destruction. He still wanted to save them from sin. He, that's what he wants for us. He doesn't want us to fall into sin. He doesn't want us to disobey and reap the consequences of that. He doesn't want that. 
And so when you look at 19, Genesis 19, 16, it literally says there too, um, it says, when he hesitated, the men grasped his hand, the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. It doesn't say, it doesn't say you may be swept away or something bad may happen to you. They're telling them, listen, you're, you're going to be swept away. You're going to die. You will, right? And um, when I read this, I, it, it, you know, I think on a personal level, right? Like God gives us warnings when we're in bad situations to flee for our lives. And some of the things that we hold on to um, and that we kind of find ourselves looking back in, looking back at and thinking about and kind of dwelling in it, you know, the Lord probably, the Lord led us away from that. And that was his way of helping us flee for our lives, whether it was our physical lives or our spiritual lives, he wanted us away from it, right? And, and he's saying in this particular scripture, don't look back, don't stop, right? Keep going forward. Now, the fourth warning was the physical destruction of Sodom. And there was a physical warning that was the sulfur rain that rained down on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And most likely, right, Lot's wife heard the destruction taking place. And when you hear and see something, again, it's that physical evidence. So even if you were having this doubt, um, the physical evidence sometimes is still not enough to make you do the right thing, right? Okay. And I wanted to have everyone take a moment and reflect to think back to your own disobedience and what were some of the warning signs that God gave you. And I think it's really important to do this self-reflection because those warning signs that God gives us, um, it's hindsight 2020 sometimes, but if we can look back and reflect and say, oh, you know, I clearly see what he was trying to show me. I think that that is a practical way for us to do better, right? To be wiser, because when you can reflect on, you know, some sin that you fell into or disobedience and there were warning signs there and you're able to um, draw on that, the next time you're in that situation, you know, you're probably more likely to heed those signs. So now we're going to look at the disobedience in the context of looking back. So co some common situations where we find ourselves tempted to look back that leads to disobedience are unhealthy relationships, jobs, old lifestyles before we accepted Christ, locations that were led to leave, um, toxic habits, indulgences and substances, unhealthy environments. And actually someone um, in my class said something really interesting. She said, you know, it's not always negative and, uh, you know, situations. Sometimes it's positive situations, right? Like we can look back at something where we were like, wow, this was such a great time in my life. And you almost mourn that it's not happening. Um, but it was just, it was for that season. And if you can't move out of that season, then you can't go forward into what God has in store for you. So I thought that was a very good comment um, and something to think about when we think about, you know, looking back and getting stuck in the past. So what does scripture say about looking back? Luke 17, 32 I thought was just, it, it really made me think about um, how God uses everything. And so Luke 17, 32 says, it will be just like this on the day the son of man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. 
So even though Lot's wife is never mentioned by name, right? She's actually, I believe, the only woman in Genesis that is not mentioned by name. She's just considered Lot's wife. Her story is significant, very significant. So much, in fact, that in the New Testament, right? In the New Testament, we went from the Old Testament and now we're in the New Testament. Jesus uses her as an example. And so I found that this was just something to really um, think about how that even though she is more of an example and a warning to us, Jesus still used her in his story to warn others, right? And this reminds us that even in disobedience, that there are lessons. Um, the other chapter is Isaiah 43, 18, 19, uh, 18 through 19. And it says, do not remember the former things, nor, con nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. We are told to not even consider the things of old because God is doing a new thing, right? The former things that do not benefit, benefit us spiritually or physically do not need to still be in our life. If Lot's wife could have seen past her temptation to look back, she would have seen that through the wilderness, the destruction of the old, God was creating a new spacious place for her, right? And when we're tempted to look back, we should try to remember that whatever that was that we had to let go of, this wasn't God's best for us. If it was negative, right? Like if it was unhealthy, um, you know, it's interesting because when you think about it, there are times where, like I said, we can see that this is an unhealthy um, it was an unhealthy time, but there's something that keeps drawing us back. And he led us away from that wilderness, away from, you know, a toxic place. And we can trust in him in obedience and willingly accept his will. These are just two scriptures. And I have some at the end of the lesson that I suggest that you look at because there are so many more scriptures about, you know, looking back and, and why that we need to continue to look forward. So let me go on to the next slide. And this one I think is a really important one. It's how Satan uses the temptation to look back as a catalyst to disobedience and spiritual warfare. So before we even go further, right, there's a fact that you want to know about Satan. He has a target on your back. Okay, he's been compiling a foul and he knows all your vulnerabilities, all your weaknesses. Okay, he knows um, your tender spots and he's a schemer and a trickster and he attacks our mind and aims to distort our identity in Christ. He wants to separate you. Okay, he doesn't want you to be used for the kingdom and he wants you, he wants to um, do this by an onslaught of deceit and distractions. I felt I feel like first Peter 5 8 says it best when he warns us and he says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know, Peter was so right on, right? Because look at just even when you look at this, sober minded, once again, the enemy always wants to attack our mind. Watchful, be watchful, right? Don't be distracted. Because once you're distracted, then your focus is taken off of God, and that's where he can weasel his way in. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He preys on you, and he seeks to devour you and to devour your gifts, right? He devout to devour the service that you have to give to others, you know, and so... Let's look at a few ways that he uses um, the past in that way as a temptation. 
So the first thing is he distorts the reality of the situation, right? So Satan wants you to believe that the grass was greener on the other side. You know, you just didn't see it. Um, he distorts your perception and memory when he attacks your mind and he gives you this false reality, right? We have a tendency to um, glamorize some the past when it wasn't that great, right? We put this glitter on it and to dress it up. But in reality, you know, it's just a distortion because if God still wanted you back there, he would have kept you back there or, or whatever that situation was, it would have still been in your life. Okay. Next, he gives you the perception that you're missing out. Satan wants you to experience FOMO. Okay. The fear of missing out. He wants you to believe that whatever old unhealthy situation you were in had some positive aspect that you are now missing out on. And if you went back, it would benefit you in some way. You can become very tempted to do things that um, don't match who you are anymore as a child of Christ, because you can feel like you're missing out. Um, you know, when you accept Christ, you change your life. And whatever it was in your old life, whether it was, you know, partying maybe, or I mean, whatever it was, right? If you spend enough time looking back and you can start to feel like you're missing out. And then next thing you know, you're starting to think and thoughts that you thought of before you accepted Christ, before your new yourself is before you were a new creation. So it's really important to remember this um, because that's a sneaky way that he tries to get in. He wants to instill fear in us to accept and embrace something new. So Satan wants you to live in fear of moving forward in God's will for your life. So he attacks your mind with thoughts of doubt and insecurity, right? The enemy wants you to believe that you're better off doing the same thing, remaining in a stagnant place. And he wants you to be afraid of the new thing that God has planned. You know, I wonder about Lot's wife. Was she afraid to leave? You know, was she afraid that maybe the new place was going to be completely different for her and that she wouldn't and somehow, you know, fit in as well? I mean, I don't know why. We don't know. We don't know enough about her, why she may have looked back. Maybe it was just curiosity. But um, the next one, I think, is something that also plays into that, which is Satan likes to play on your emotions, right? He knows that he, if he can play on your emotions, it affects your thoughts and your thoughts affect your behavior. Oftentimes there is an enormous amount of emotion tied to looking back, okay? That is overwhelming to the point that it drowns out God's instruction for us. If you've ever been heavy into your emotions, you know that logic goes out the window, right? And we also tend to give into our fleshly desires when we are overwhelmed with emotion, okay? That, I think, is probably one of the things, you know, when we think about Lot's wife looking back, whether, so I mean, Sodom obviously was so wicked, right? It's hard to think that somebody would even want to stay there, but this was her home, right? This was her home for a certain period of time. There may have been some emotional ties there, I'm sure. And, you know, he took the family, but there were friends. I mean, we don't know who she was leaving behind. And so maybe it was just those emotions that came up, right? That she just wanted to look one more time back at what she was leaving behind. Unfortunately, that was um, not a smart move on her part because it, it didn't, um, that emotion overtook her understanding and her obedience and willingness to listen to God. So what we need to know about our role in disobedience, because I think it's really important to take accountability, right? Um, and because when we're able to take accountability, then we're able to confess, we're able to repent, and we're able to do better, right? And so I think we need to know that one, disobedience, it's a choice. It's an action in which we use our free will to make a decision to disobey. And so it's an action, right? Like we choose to do 
whatever it is that we do. And we were given free will. And with that free will, we have to use wisdom. Okay. So that's the first thing I think that we need to remember that every day we have a choice. Disobedience is a rebellion against God. It's a refusal to take the better course that God has laid out. You know, when I think about that scripture that God has plans to um, prosper us and not to harm us, you know, I think that that is something we should keep in our mind all the time, right? When we are fighting against a course of action that we know God wants us to take, but we don't want to, instead of rebelling, remember that his plan is to not harm you. He loves you. And in that love, um, we don't have to be fearful, right? We don't have to take this um, stance of rebellion against him. We can surrender and be assured that we are going to be perfectly fine, right? Not to say that there's not going to be hardship and trouble because that's life, right? But we know that God has us. Um, the other thing that we should talk about is that disobedience is a crisis in faith. When we disobey, <clears throat> we're having a crisis in faith because we waver in our belief and trust in God. And um, faith is our cornerstone, right? And sometimes it is very difficult to walk in faith because we want to walk in self. And when we walk in self, that's when we start to get into trouble. So recognizing that there is a crisis in faith is really important, I think, in how we remedy the situation, because that's when you need to dig even deeper into the Lord, right? That's when you need to get your sisters out there to be praying for you. And you need to really, um, you know, use everything in your arsenal to build up that faith. Um, lastly, I think that disobedience is a craving to fulfill our fleshly desires. Instead of following God's desire for us, we follow our flesh that craves gratification instead of waiting on the Lord's will for us. Um, you know, we live in a society where we can get things pretty quickly, right? Like you want a meal, you just call DoorDash and it's there, right? Um, we have the internet. Everything is at our fingertips. And I think that there's nothing we really, really wait for, you know, and um our desires are fulfilled. And sometimes when we feel like that's not happening right away, we can start to um, look at for ways to fulfill those, those desires that are not God's desires. And so when we're looking at disobedience, like looking at, you know, looking at our desires and then looking at God's and seeing if they match up. And if they don't, then it's time to take a hard look at where we need to be. What are some of the consequences of looking back and not moving forward in God's will? Um, remaining stuck in a place that doesn't exist anymore, I think is one of the big ones, right? Only the present exists, right now exists, not the past, not the future. The second that you are in, as you're listening to this right now, this is what exists, right? The present. When we look back, it keeps us stuck in our mind and eventually our actions and it renders us immobile, right? Like Lot's wife, when she became a pillar of salt. I mean, hers was an extreme consequence. I mean, hers was the extreme of being stuck, like literally stuck, immobile, right? Not able to move. She cannot move forward anymore, you know? And I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, if she could have taken that back, if she would have known that she would have been able to move forward with her family, she probably would have. But immobilization stops you from moving forward with God's plan for your life and all that he has in store. And that's a huge consequence. That's a huge consequence because I know and you know that there are the promises of the Lord and that he has so much in store for us if we just move forward when we are told, right? Um, the second thing is you don't take full advantage of the new creation that you are in Christ. So when we accept Christ as our savior, we are a new creation and are given all the benefits and all the gifts and all the privilege of being a daughter of the king. And we cannot step fully into that new life 
if we have one foot in the past and eyes that refuse to look forward, right? So when you're a new creation, if you're trying to still live in an old pattern, it's so detrimental to you, you know, and it's so detrimental to others, which I'm going to talk about next, which is you block God's blessing and you can't be a blessing. Part of being immobile is that you block future blessings that God has in store for you. You block your present blessings because you refuse to accept them. It's difficult to be present, right? When your mind is distracted with the past. So you miss opportunities to serve and use your gifts. Lot's wife missed an opportunity, right? She missed an opportunity. And I think that when we start living in the past, thinking about a time that no longer exists, that we can no longer get to, right? We cannot be fully present if we're distracted. We cannot serve. We cannot take advantage of, advantage of the opportunities that God gives us. And so I think these three, and I think there are more consequences, right, of looking back and not moving forward in God's will. But I think these three were the ones that really hit me um, when, I was, when I was starting to study for this lesson. So how can we avoid falling into the looking back trap? I love this little picture here because I love how she's sitting there. Those chains are broken because I think that when we get stuck in the past, when we want to continually look back, we hold ourselves in chains, right? We're in shackles because that's what it does to us. It holds us shackled to a time that doesn't even exist, but there is hope. And one of the, there are a few ways that I think we can try to avoid this um, falling into the trap of looking back. We can trust in God's plan, right? And just like I said before, we were talking about this earlier that God's plan is the best plan for us. And so we can trust that wherever he is taking us, we have the Lord by our side and that's all we need. Okay. He is sovereign. He knows everything you need before you will ever know it. The other thing is we lean not on our own understanding, emotions, or ties to the past. Don't lean on those things. Remember, emotions, um, God made emotions. There's nothing wrong with emotions. But when your emotions overtake you and they become so loud that you can't hear God's will for your life, that's when they become a problem, right? So don't lean on your understanding of the, of the emotions. Lean on God. We live as a new creation. Start recognizing who you are in Christ, right? Recognize who you are. You are new. You don't have the old life that you had, right? And the other thing about looking in back in the past, um, and this goes off a little bit maybe from, you know, this study on Lot's wife, but we can tend to get really caught up in regret and shame and guilt. And then we start putting those dirty old rags back on us and they don't belong on us anymore, right? So live life as a new creation. We believe that God has created a spacious place for us outside the wilderness. Now, I don't know what would have happened if Lot's wife would have just kept moving forward, right? Because as we read further, we realize that there had some problems in the family, okay? Like lots of girls and lots, I mean, there were just some issues there, but we don't know what would have happened, right? God has a spacious place for us outside the wilderness. And you know, even in the present, if you're wandering through the wilderness and you feel like there is no way out, you just, you know, ready to lose hope, please don't. Please know that he has a plan for you, that he creates a spacious place for you. He will take you outside that wilderness. You may be going through it for a while, um, but he will take you out of it. He has a spacious place for you. We have faith that the Lord will remove anything that no longer fits who we are as a new creation in Christ. And this just goes back to remembering that, listen, you know, the I think it's the scripture about the old wineskins. You can't put new wine into old wineskins because it will bust. You can't put your old self into your new creation, right? And it's okay. Learn how to release what God no longer has for you. 
Okay. If it doesn't fit who you are, thank you, Lord, for removing it. Praise the Lord. He's taking it and throwing it out or just, you know, removing you from that situation. It is okay. You don't want to be um, holding on to things that don't fit you anymore. You know, I mean, I think about relationships, you know, and I, I'm saying this because I find, um, I don't want to say this and sound, I think women and men, but you know, I've known women who hold on to these relationships that were just so unhealthy, so unworthy of who they were, you know, and then they, you know, become a Christian and it doesn't fit who they are, but they still go back to it. They still hold on to it. And you know what it does? It keeps them stuck. It keeps them from God's goodness for their lives. It keeps them from really reaching their full potential as a woman in Christ. And so, you know, if it does not fit you, let it go, right? And then the last one is we walk in obedience guided by God's truth and promises. You know, when we read the scriptures, I think sometimes, you know, we have, well, I will say this, everything as we know is in the scriptures is God breathed right? It's living. And so these words are just not words on pages, but these words are living and breathing. And when we incorporate them into our life in an applicable and practical way in our lives every day, we start to understand God's truth, his promises, and his principles. And we know that every single word in there, you know, these aren't fairy tales, Lot's wife, I know it seems probably, you know, kind of um, almost like, wow, how can people, you know, how can that happen? How can that happen? How can she turn into a pillar of salt? We need to look at the, the word as the truth, right? There is a reason that this particular story about Lot's wife is in the scripture. She has no name. Remember that she has no name, but she is teaching us something. She is teaching us about the dangers of looking back and not moving forward. And so every time that we read the Bible, just remember that it is living, it is breathing. It is not um, just some book. It is really our blueprint for life and it will guide you every single day in every way. Um, the three facts that Lot's wife teaches us about God when we're tempted to look back so the three things, and we've talked about these pretty much, but God gives us warnings, right? God gives us multiple warnings that helps us to remember that looking back can be dangerous and it can cause disobedience. Lot's wife was given those four warnings. She was told to flee, but in the end, she ignored them. And perhaps her desire to look back, you know, maybe just kept her in denial, right, of those warnings. Because if you're really desiring something, everything is colored by that desire. So if you're desiring to look back and it's going to cause you to step into disobedience, think about the warning signs that God's giving you. Okay. Just take a moment, step back, get some space from it and really look at the warning signs. Then God gives us opportunities. God provides opportunities to move forward, but you have to grasp them, right? Um, he gave Lot's wife and the family ample opportunity and protection. He gave them protection. But the angels said, hey, you know, look, here's a new land. He even gave them, he said, look, you know what, we'll take you there. Um, but they didn't take the opportunity. So think about the opportunities that God has blessed you with when he is moving you forward. And think about too, and this is something to really think about, think about the opportunities that you may have missed when you didn't move forward. Because sometimes we can learn more about ourselves when we look at the missed opportunities. Not saying you should dwell on them, but think about you know, the opportunities that God gives you and do you take advantage of them? And lastly, God gives us a way out. You know, anytime that we are tempted, we're told we are not tempted by God, but he will give us a way out. We are tempted by our own desires and those desires turn into sin that are not of God. Okay. So 
anytime you are tempted to return to, you know, looking back unhealthy situation, God will give you a way out and a different course of action. But again, you have to take accountability and choose, right? You have to willingly choose to be obedient and follow his path. And Lot's wife, even though she was literally led the, by the hand out of the destruction, right? Out of the raining sulfur, she made the choice to disobey, right? She was given a way out. And instead of focusing on the way out, she was looking back at the way it was. So those are just a few things to keep in mind um, that I thought was really, you know, like I said, this, this lesson to me and Lot's wife had so much meat in it. Um, and I just wanna say this, before we judge Lot's wife too harshly, let's look in the mirror and ask ourselves, am I stuck in a pattern of looking back? Am I walking in disobedience by not stepping into God's new plan for me? What do I need to release? What emotions are distorting my reality of the past? Am I immobile in pursuing and sharing my gifts because of missed opportunities from looking back? Am I blocking my blessings? Do I trust in God's plan? I really think that when I started to um, look at this lesson, I didn't expect to get as much from it as I did. I didn't expect to record this Bible study, you know, um, or this Bible lesson for anyone, to be honest with you. I just was going to present it in the ladies class. But I think that we can resonate with this. And I think that a lot of us have a lot more in common with Lot's wife than we think we may. And I think that she gives us a warning about moving forward and not looking back and trusting in the Lord and trusting in his will and not our own. And so I hope you enjoyed this. I do want to leave you with scriptures for encouragement. Philippians 3, 12 through 14, Proverbs 4, 27, Luke 9, 62, Deuteronomy 5, 32, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and Jeremiah 29, 11. And I just want to say that all of these scriptures, and there are so many more, like, you know, they all kind of talk about um, looking back and, you know, instead looking forward to what God has in store for you. So thank you so much for joining me. I have had a ball doing this. I might have to do this more often. Um, the slides are available. And also, like I said, I have a reflection worksheet that I'll make available. You can find this lesson either in the Facebook group of um, Single Christian Mom Seeking Joy. You can also find it on the website at faithcoffeeandakid.com and also in the Single Moms of Faith Burning Bright, Not Burning Out Facebook group. If you're not a part of that, please join it. And thank you so much. And I hope you have a blessed day. Looking forward to all that God has in store for you.